Well, I'll just go ahead and say it. I'm actually a bit of a geography nerd. I actually like geography. Um, I can take a map and sit down and look at it for a long time and just study it because I just enjoy looking at places and figuring out what's what and where's where and that kind of thing. Um, so I enjoy looking at maps. Now, if you're under the age of 30, you've grown up using GPS, so you probably didn't use maps much growing up. So this is what a map looks like. Um, we used to keep these things in the glove box of our car. We'd pull them out and unfold them more when we didn't know where we were going or where we needed to know where to go. Kind of awkward to use, but you'd unfold them. Then when you're driving down the road, you just look at them like this, you know. And, you know, we think it's dangerous texting and driving, but we used to do this. Yeah, no kidding. And then you could never fold them up the way you first got them. They all, when you fold them up, they never ended up um, the way they were supposed to be. But uh, anyway, how many of you like geography? Let me see your hands. Okay, keep, okay. Wow, great. Put your hands down. How many of you don't like geography? Let me see your hand. Okay. All right. So if you don't like geography, then you probably didn't like geography tests either, right? In fact, I, I think it's probably safe to say that most of us don't really like tests all that well. It's not like you hear a student say something like, you know, I cannot wait until Friday. We have a test, you know. And you don't go up to your professor and teacher and say, Whew, you know those tests you're given, could you make them a little more challenging for us? And maybe a little more frequently. And throw in an unannounced quiz every so often. Would you do that? Physical exams. We really don't care that much for them, do we? I mean, how many people do you say, you know what? Um, I'm pretty excited about this. I'm going to have my annual physical exam coming up at my doctor's office. I really look forward to giving them the opportunity to poke and to prod and to take samples and draw blood and put on the glove. I can't wait. I, you know, I wouldn't, miss, I wouldn't miss this for anything in the world. We just don't say that, do we? Or no one looks back at their 16th year and says, you know, the highlight of that year was when I was sitting in the driver's seat with an evaluator beside me. And I was taking my driver's test to see if I could get my license. Now, tests just are not all that much fun. There was a young man who was just finishing his college degree in his last semester, and he had to take two credit hours of an elective just to fill it up and to graduate. So he looked over the courses being offered, and he liked science. So he thought, hey, here's one for me. It was wildlife zoology. And he thought to himself, I, I think I would enjoy this class. So he took it. He had heard that the professor had some peculiar ways. So it came time for the first test, and the professor distributed a test to him. It was actually just a piece of paper divided into four quadrants. And in each quadrant was a picture of some bird legs. And the professor said that the entire test was that for the, each of the students to identify the birds based on what they saw, the picture of the bird legs. And this student was so frustrated. He'd studied, he thought he knew his stuff, he had no idea this was going to be the test. And he just sat there kind of fuming inside for about five minutes, staring at that piece of paper, completely blank, nothing on it. Finally, he'd had enough. He stood up, he grabbed the piece of paper, he went up to the front of the class, put it down up on the table by the teacher, and as he's walking out, he mumbled to himself, what a sorry excuse for a test, I can't believe this. Well, the professor overheard him. So he said, excuse me, young man, what'd you say? And the young man turned around and said, I said, this isn't really a test. How can you give a test like this? What's wrong with you? And the professor looked at him and said, what is your name, young man? 
And the young man looked back at him, pulled his pant legs up, showed him his legs, and said, you tell me. <laughs> I don't advise that, by the way. Don't try that. Did you know that God gives tests? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, He will test you. Now, your first thought may be negative. It may be something like, I'm not sure I like that. Why would God test me? And that means my life is going to get difficult, and I don't want it to be that way. Let me read you something from the Bible. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says, So truly be glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Check this next part out. It is being tested. As fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So why does God test us? I think the short answer would be because tests tend to make our faith grow. They help us learn to trust God. We, we learn that God can provide. We can learn that God is faithful. You know, a study was done at the University of California, Berkeley, on amoeba, believe it or not. And uh, researchers did an experiment that involved introducing amoeba into a perfectly stress-free environment. So these amoebas or amoebae, I think either's okay, I, they had the ideal temperature, optimal concentration of moisture, constant food supply, and these little amoebas had this environment in which they had no to make no adjustments whatsoever. Now you would think in an environment like that you would just have these perfectly happy little amoeba, right? Whatever the amoeba wants, it gets, you know, no more high blood pressure, no ulcers for these amoeba, that kind of thing. Yet, oddly enough, the amoeba died. And apparently there's something about all living creatures, even amoebas, that demand challenges. We require change, adaptation, and challenge for food and air. Comfort alone will kill us. They're now doing some studies because it seems like allergies are on the rise in children. And they're asking themselves, why is that? And one theory is that because we have such sterile environments today, we've made our environment so clean that kids aren't exposed to things like bacteria and pollens and allergens and parasites and viruses and all those kinds of things. So they don't have an opportunity when they're young to build up a tolerance to these things. And so when they get older, they're more susceptible to allergies. Now, I don't know how that theory will play out, but that's what they're talking about. So you know what the moral of the story is? Just let your kids play in the dirt, you know? Let them lick the shopping cart. <laughs> Maybe that's what needs to happen, right? I don't know that I'd follow my advice on that one. But, uh, you know, it, it's like these kids need to have, you know, so instead of the, the five-second rule when food drops on the floor, go 10 seconds. If it's been there all day, let them eat it, you know. And remember, I am not a doctor, all right? So don't follow my advice on this stuff. But 
God tested the nation of Israel as well. Not because He didn't like them. Not because He wanted to make life difficult for them. He tested them because they were going to enter a land that He had promised them called the Promised Land. And going into that land, they needed to learn to be able to trust Him. They needed to find Him faithful that He would provide for them so when they were in that land, they would have the faith to trust Him there too. Now, we're in this series called The Getaway. We're looking at some of the history of the nation of Israel. It's taken from the book of Exodus, which, by the way, you're reading that now in the Ridge Reading Challenge. And what we've looked at so far has been miraculous. Uh, Israel was enslaved in Egypt through a series of miraculous events. God raises up Moses to be their leader. They're delivered from the king of Egypt called the Pharaoh. When that happens... They, they leave and they head out into the desert or wilderness. Those terms are often used interchangeably, desert and wilderness in the Old Testament. They come to the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his army out to chase him down, maybe to kill him, take him back as slaves. They panic. God parts the waters of the Red Sea and allows the people, two million strong, to walk through on dry ground and then closes it back up so the Egyptian's army drowns. They can't catch him and so on. Miracle after miracle for these people. Today we're going to see that they're tested. And what we'll do is that they're out in the desert. We're just going to call this the desert test. And the desert test is this. Can the people of Israel trust God to provide? Now, you probably know what the desert test would be if you guessed at it. <laughs> it's this. Where do you get water? You're in a desert. Two million people. Not the easiest thing to do is to provide water for two million people. Would God provide for them once again? Would He be faithful? Even though two million people are in the middle of a desert and have no water. At first, the situation seems impossible. An impossible situation. And perhaps you've been there. Or perhaps you're there today where you say, hey, my situation is impossible. Or I've been an impossible situations. Maybe it's at home, or in a neighborhood, or at school, or at work. Could even be at church. Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's with your emotions, your feelings. Maybe it's with a habit. It's a temptation. Here's our challenge in those situations. Can I trust God enough that He will provide? Can I believe that this is a situation to grow my faith? Can I keep the right perspective even in challenging situations? Well, we're going to parallel that with the nation of Israel and see how they did. And by the way, do you know how the nation of Israel did when they were tested this morning even though God had provided time and time again for them? Not so well. Which is actually a bit encouraging, isn't it? To know that because what we're going to see is that God was faithful to them, so it tells us that maybe when we don't do so well with the challenges of life, God still may be faithful to us as well. So let me show you what happened. We'll start with the nation of Israel. Uh, we're going to read from uh, Exodus chapter 15 to start off this morning. Here's what it says. This is verse 22. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Marah, which means bitter. 
Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and it made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree, check this out, as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. The story is pretty much, I think, self-explanatory. They're out in the desert. They don't have any water. Finally, they get to an oasis that has water. They can't drink the water. It's bitter. They're discouraged. They complain to Moses. What are we going to do? God takes this oasis and turns it into beautiful, fresh drinking water for them. But we even read that God was testing them to see if they would be faithful. So here's exam number one. It's perspective. Do I get discouraged when life is difficult? Discouragement distorts our perspective and twists our view of reality. We can read how God time and time and time and time again has miraculously delivered them. Yet, the moment life gets difficult, they lost their perspective. And we can all relate to that, can't we? It happens to all of us. You know, it happens to me. So, so how do you get centered again? How do you gain the right perspective? What's the answer? Well, for me personally, I have to spend time with God. I've got to read the Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to review in my mind what I know is true. In other words, the answer is to remind myself of the truth. You know, pastors get discouraged like everybody else. In fact, it's one of the biggest battles that pastors face, discouragement. And I deal with it almost weekly. You know, when someone is critical, I have to remind myself, Jerry, you're doing this for an audience of one. What matters is what God thinks. That's the truth. When I get discouraged, when someone makes a decision to leave their spouse, even though we've done everything we can to help them save their marriage, I have to remind myself, Jerry, God is in control, not you. You can't change someone else's life or heart or mind. Just be faithful to your calling. That's truth. When we're struggling financially as a church, I have to remind myself, Jerry, has God been faithful to you as a church in the past? Yes, then He'll be faithful in the present. When I get discouraged with my own struggles and start having thoughts like, Jerry, I'm not even sure you're worthy to be a pastor. I have to remind myself, Jerry, God isn't looking for you to be perfect. Just to be honest, own what you can own. Be real with others. Remind yourself of the truth which we find in the Bible. Or you can talk to a wise, mature Christian friend, a counselor who can help you see the truth. And you know, that's one reason it makes being in a life group so beneficial here at the church. It's a place where people can speak truth to you and you can gain perspective. When Britain was on the brink of being overtaken by Nazi Germany in World War II, Winston Churchill stood firm. You know, in spite of incredible opposition and skepticism, even from his own people, he was able to fend off discouragement and lead the nation courageously. When he was asked, looking back, how he was able to do it, he pointed to a time where he had to repeat a grade 
in elementary school. And someone asked him, you mean you failed a year in grade school? And Churchill replied, I never failed anything in my life. I was just given a second opportunity. Perspective. Remind yourself of what you know to be true. Here's the second exam. It's called attitude. Do I complain when life gets difficult? So the nation of Israel starts out from the oasis, two million strong, to continue moving across the desert. God has once again miraculously provided for them. He supernaturally delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He's held back the waters of the Red Sea as they crossed. He provided this beautiful fresh water at this oasis. You got all that, right? God's done all this for them. God has been faithful time and time and time again in miraculous ways. Knowing all that, I want you to see what happens next. This is Exodus 16, verse 1. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. There too, the whole assembly or community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you brought us out into this wilderness to starve us to death. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Complaining reflects a bad attitude. But at the heart of complaining is an ungrateful spirit. And like an infectious disease, it spreads so quickly. Have you ever caught yourself complaining about your job? Caught yourself complaining about something at church? Caught yourself complaining about the food or the service at a restaurant? That's a first world problem, by the way. Have you ever caught yourself complaining that the internet went down? That's a first world problem, too. Have you ever caught yourself complaining the battery on your cell phone wasn't holding its charge? Another first world problem. Have you ever found yourself complaining about a rainy day when you were on vacation? On vacation? First world problem. Stop. Step back. Think about what is at the heart of a complaining spirit. It's lack of thankfulness for what we do have. We have everything we need in our relationship with Jesus. So we really have nothing to complain about. You've heard this adage, but attitude determines altitude. But it's true. The answer to complaining is to change your attitude. And do you know how you change your attitude? Pretty simple way. Start counting your blessings. You frustrated with your job? Thank God that you have a job. In the restaurant, we can say, you know, at least I have food and I can afford to eat out and not have to fix this meal for myself this evening. With our cell phone battery, we can say, you know, at least I can afford a cell phone and I really don't need one, but it is a nice luxury to have. With the cloudy or rainy day on vacation, we can think, at least I have a vacation and I have the health to enjoy a vacation. Are you you wishing spring would come? Are you thinking, man, the month of March has been so cold. Just remind yourself that exactly one year ago today, on March 24th, it snowed. 
10 inches in Indianapolis a year ago today. So it really comes down to what we choose to focus on. God tells us that the battle is won or lost where we fix our thoughts. Philippians 4.8 says this, Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See that? Worthy of praise. Gratitude. A man went to see a counselor, and he told the counselor, I feel like there are two dogs inside of me. There's one that's a positive, kind, thankful, grateful dog. Then I have this angry, complaining, negative dog. And they just fight at each other all the time. And I don't know which one's going to win. The counselor thought for a moment and then said, the one that will win is the one that you feed the most. Feed the positive dog. Now you may be skeptical at this point, and you're thinking um, in your head, come on, Jerry, it can't be that simple. Yeah, it really is. But it just takes time. And it takes intentionality because over time, if you remind yourself of the truth, the way you think will determine how you feel. Let me repeat that for you. The way you think will determine how you feel. You get to choose your attitude. If you're miserable, it's a choice. So why not choose to be filled with joy and to be grateful? Here's a third test. Exam number three. It's provision. Do I trust God when life is difficult? Let's keep reading the story of Exodus 16. It gets better. This is verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israel's complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp, and the next morning the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. The Israelites called the food manna. It was white like a coriander seed and tasted like honey wafers. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? God provided food for them in the desert. In the evening, it was meat, quail. And in the morning, He provided frosted flakes. <laughs> not, I'm not kidding. You saw what I read. It was this frosted flaky substance. I'm not kidding. Huh? And you know what they called it? They called it manna. The Hebrew word manna literally means, what is it? No kidding, in 1996, when the Summer Olympics were hosted in Atlanta, an artist came up with a logo for the Olympics. Here's what it looked like. Look up here on the screens. Now, they ended up calling this Izzy. And here's why. <laughs> Many people, when they saw this logo for the first time, said, what is it? Is it? So they named it Izzy. And actually, the exact same thing happened for the nation of Israel. When they saw these frosted flakes on the ground, they asked, what is it? And the Hebrew word for what is it is manna. But what is God actually doing here? If we were to read the rest of chapter 16, 
we would see that what he's doing, the point he's making, is that he's providing day by day. He only wanted them to gather enough food for that very day because he wanted them to learn, trust me for tomorrow. (laughs) So he would say, just gather what you need for today and tomorrow I'll provide for you. But guess what some of them did? They began to gather a little more than they would need for that day just in case. Never hurts to have a backup plan, right? Sounds just like me. I can just see myself doing that. So what would happen is they would gather what they needed for that day and then they would gather a little extra of the meat or the frosted flakes. When they would get up the next morning, the extra they gathered had rotted. And that leads us to answer the question, how can I trust God when life is difficult? The answer is something we'll call the manna principle. The manna principle is this, one day at a time. God asks us to trust Him day by day. And never is that more important than when difficulties come. And if you're like me, meaning someone who just likes to plan their life out and to have everything in order, this can be a challenge. When difficulties come, it's a great reminder that we need to trust God one day at a time. We have a golden retriever at our house. He's actually my son's golden retriever, but as all golden retrievers do, they become the family dog. And there have been times where I have thought, you know, his name's Lance, by the way. I thought, I envy his life. Yeah, no kidding. He worries about nothing. Every morning about 7 a.m., his bowl is filled with food. And by the way, that food, it looks, let me show you what it looks like. It's just dry dog food. I don't know if you can see it or not, but you know what dry dog food looks like, right? I brought some along this morning. By, by the way, real quick, have any of you ever tried dog food, eating it, literally eating it. Let me see your hands if you try this. Hold them up for just a minute. Everybody else look around at these people. What is wrong with them? You know? Okay, here's the rest of the story. So this week, I decided to try it. I had never tried it before. So I ate a piece of this dried dog food. I wasn't sure what to expect. It was better than I expected. Not that it was good, okay? But it was better than I expected. And I think that's because I went in with really low expectations, but I did have a bottle of water with me ready to go just in case, and I did use the bottle of water. So, But, um, you you know, you think about it. Lance doesn't complain, and every morning, 7 a.m., every evening, 6 p.m., we fill his bowl with food again, and he eats it. Well, I will add this. About 6 o'clock at night, If we haven't filled his bowl, he begins just to stare at you. I mean, it's kind of creepy, you know? I mean, you you feel this look, and you look down, there's this dog just glaring right at you, and he's saying, hey, it's time to feed me. But he never worries about if he's going to get to eat. He completely trusts that we'll feed him his next meal. So, you know, we have a phrase for that. We call that a dog's life, don't we? And what we mean by that is, When we say it's a dog's life, life just isn't that hard. It must be nice to have a dog's life. You know, that's how God wants us to actually trust Him one day at a time. And it's an important principle to learn, especially when difficulties come our way. Life wouldn't have to be that hard for us either if we could just learn to trust Him one day at a time. 
So remember this, my joy in life is directly proportional to the degree to which I choose to live by the man of principle. You choose it. Recall this, when life gets difficult, I can trust God one day at a time. Maybe what you need to do is go out and buy yourself a box of frosted flakes, okay? I'm serious, you know, manna was just frosted flakes. Buy yourself a box, cut off the cover of it or something like that, and put it in a place to remind you of the manna principle that I can trust God one day at a time. Maybe you need to put it on your kitchen refrigerator, in your car, maybe on your desk at work, something like that. It'll remind you that you can trust God one day at a time. So I want to wrap things up this morning by coming full circle. I'm going to leave you with a quiz, all right? And this is a simple one. It's just a multiple choice test. It's one question. And I'm going to put the choices up here, and you can pick. You can actually pick more than one answer if you want. Here's the question. When tested, I complain, letter B, falter, letter C, become discouraged, D, remind myself of the truth, E, am grateful for what I have, or F, trust God and take it a day at a time. And here's what I would change you to do if you're struggling with your attitude, if you're struggling with your perspective this morning, if you feel like maybe you're, you know, you answered A, B, or C, or maybe even all of the above, here's what I encourage you to do. Remove and replace. Remove the negative thoughts and replace them with the positive ones, with letters D, E, and F. That's what Philippians 4.8 in the Bible is telling us to do, to fix our thoughts on the truth. Trials are inevitable. Living with joy is optional. Life is too short not to trust God and enjoy the journey.